0: Welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 206th edition of Assembly Call Radio and it is our 689th episode overall of the Assembly Call recorded on the evening of March 25th 2021. I'm your host Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes a shot. Oh, wow. This week's banner moment occurred yesterday when the IU women's basketball team advanced to the Sweet 16 by defeating the 12th seed Belmont Bruins 70-48 and previously defeating the 13th seeded VCU, uh, I forget their uh, name there, Andy, but uh, we... Rams. Rams. Thank you. Uh, 63 to 32 and really a bright spot for the basketball world of Indiana university, uh, to advance to the sweet 16 hasn't been done before. Co- Coach Morin is in her seventh season at the helm of the lady Hoosiers fifth straight season of 20 or more wins. Uh, and has really is a shining example of what happens when you find that right person for the fit for the right program. And what we're going to talk a lot about later today is, the, is getting the right fit for the men's program. When it works, this, this is the kind of results that we can expect to see down the road. Very proud of the women. We encourage them as they play the number one seed uh, North Carolina State on Saturday at six o'clock. We'll have some television information for you down the road. But congratulations uh, to the women. And uh, we will talk a lot about uh, the men's program and where they're headed with their coaches search uh, today. But The banner moment has to be the success of those ladies and cheering them on uh, as they go forward in the tournament. And now let me introduce uh, my esteemed co-host for this week's episode. Ryan isn't here tonight. Uh, Sources have indicated, though, that the Assembly Call that is currently trying to get on a Zoom interview with Scott Dolson uh, to uh, get interviewed uh, to be the shot doctor maybe uh, cuz you know he's uh, all on the Mike Woodson uh, bandwagon. Uh, we'll update you on how that zoom call goes uh, but on my left it's Andy Bottoms, and he's ready to have fun 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 fun
1: fun 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 fun
0: fun fun fun
1: fun fun fun
0: It's fun Bottoms, fun 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 to fun some fun What's on your mind, Andy?
1: Well, you kind of took the words out of my mouth with the women's team. They've been uh I was I was off on Monday to watch the uh the NCAA tournament, so watched the women's game in the afternoon and then uh as soon as I got done with work yesterday, watched it. They uh really been strong defensively. I was looking back, they gave up, I mean, they gave up 3 points in the fourth quarter to VCU. Um but in the out of the 8 quarters they've played, they've given up uh single digits in three of them and 12 points or less in six of them. Uh, And I would argue that the fourth quarter in Belmont would have been the same way had they not uh, subbed and put some other players in and, and, uh, and let up a little bit there. So, just a really impressive first couple rounds from them, uh, to, to do what they've done. And then now they got NC state waiting, who may or may not have, uh, I think their third leading scorer is potentially out with a, a knee injury. So that leaves NC state pretty thin. Uh, IU as, as those who follow the program know doesn't go particularly deep either, but, uh, you know, yesterday was a really balanced effort against Belmont. I think they had, uh, five players with nine, at least nine points each and, um, you know, so really, really solid effort, really excited to see them and uh, wish them well against NC State should be exciting. And also to uh, congrats to, to Greg Murray, who we've had on the show a couple of times. He uh, I saw he, he when we talked to him last, he was talking about how he was hoping that the uh, the games would cooperate with his impending uh, the impending labor of his wife. And uh, he almost made it through the first two rounds of the tournament, uh, but uh, tweeted out yesterday. I believe it was that uh, the baby was coming. So congrats to, to Greg and family. Uh, for that and uh, perhaps that means he'll be uh be back in the saddle again for the uh, sweet 16 game on Saturday
0: yeah congratulations Greg nothing better uh, than being a dad Andy you can attest to that um, the, it's just a, an awesome thing and the, the ladies are just remarkable watched uh, both games uh, this week and, and uh, really looking forward to to seeing them um, pull the upset kind of seed wise upset not an upset uh, for me uh, Jared Morris will be here later uh, he's putting his daughter to bed first and uh, but he said if any one of us says uh, Tony Bennett three times fast, uh, rumor has it that he might hear and start shouting at anyone who doesn't immediately agree that Bennett is the best coach of all time. Uh, so put your comments in the the message there for Jared. When he gets here, he'll be glad uh, to see those. But in the meantime, uh, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some Hoosier headlines focusing on uh, the transfer portal, uh, then we'll reset the coaching search and reexamine some of the resumes. And then at the end, we have a lot of good questions uh, to try to answer uh, for you this week. That'll be in our third segment. All of that's coming up this week on uh, Assembly Call. So here we go. Let's hit some headlines. Obviously, uh, we've talked already about the women in the Sweet 16, and their their defense has been the reason why they're advancing with allowing 80 points through the first two, two games. Their game Saturday will be at 6 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. Um, Against uh, North Carolina State. So if you uh, want to tune in, if you have one TV, turn into the Lady Hoosiers. If you have two, put the NCAA tournament on one and watch the Lady Hoosiers uh, on another, or go to your local watering hole. Uh, still social distance uh, and 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 root them on. Um, a lot has happened this week with um, the the transfer portal. Uh, L. Armand race um jordan geronimo and parker stewart all have entered their names in the transfer portal Uh, jared and i talked on tuesday about that happening we we were on the show when the news broke about armand franklin entering the transfer portal Um, andy is is this a is this a big deal and and what can we share with our listeners about um about the transfer portal and how to handle it as fans
1: I, it's obviously easy to get a little nervous about this as the coaching search goes, goes on. Uh, even though I, I think when we really look back in reality, it hasn't been all that long compared to other coaching searches out there, but it probably feels like it based on the news cycle over the course of that time. Uh, so I think it's reasonable for people to get a little bit nervous, but I wouldn't worry too much for a variety of reasons. I think, uh, you know, one is, to me, this is what the players should be doing. It's in their best interest to figure out what's out there. I don't think any of them would make a decision. Uh, and if they would make a decision, then to me, they already had their mind up to leave. Uh, I mean, if they make a decision before the new coach's name, then I think they'd already made their mind up to leave. I think all of them, uh, or, or at the very least, most of them, would kind of wait the situation out, see who the new coach is, talk to that person, see how they might fit in or not fit in, and then make whatever decision is is best for them from there. And I think a lot of players are not going to make decisions very quickly because you've also got to figure out who's entering the draft. You're trying to project yourself into where where you'd fit into whatever rotation you'd go to. And uh, rosters, more so this year than any year, are really in flux. You need to know, are people coming back and taking advantage of the extra year? I know four Butler guys just said they were coming back as an example um, this evening. And so you know I think they owe it to themselves to a certain extent to understand that process but be – Deliberate in making the decision and probably take some time. And, you know, so it remains to be seen what happens. You guys have put their names in and can't come back. And Ryan brought up uh, Kyra Lewis on a, a podcast the other day where he had put his name in. Then when Nate Oates became the head coach of Alabama, came back and, and went there. And this is truly going to be an unprecedented year. You're going to have tons of guys put their names in there. And one of the things that you're going to look for in a new coach is somebody who's going to be able to navigate those waters, both from the standpoint of being able to talk to the IU guys and figure out whether they're good fits to bring them back and also to look at other players out there and figure out who's going to be a potential quick fix fit into the system uh, that they want to run and and go from there. So I don't think it's worrisome, but uh, obviously uh, in normal circumstances, if you saw that many guys go in, the natural reaction would be to freak out. So I I kind of understand why people may be inclined to do that.
0: Yeah. I think my, my initial reaction was, Oh no, you know um, you need to get a coach in here quick to try to, Keep keep these guys here. I think this is, and the more more I look at it now, it's a, it's a unique year. There's 900 players already in the transfer portal, and I think there's going to be at least 100, or maybe another 200 more uh, that that enter. And it's a unique year with the COVID uh, ruling, where you get it that this year over again. Uh, that adds to people wanting to see what what else is out there and the free uh, transfer rule is that right Andy that they they get a year now has that been adopted yet um, where they get a year or is it just if your coaches uh leave i
1: my understanding is and everybody seems to be treating it as if this is kind of a free year to to move I do think and I'm trying to remember what this is so hopefully i don't I don't butcher it I think if you stay at your current school, you don't count against the scholarship limit um, and you'd be allowed to sign more. But I think if you transfer, you still would. So um, if Joey Brunk or yeah, Durham, probably, you know, he already decided before, you know, really knowing anything. So to me, he was a guy who was ready to move on. But um, in theory, if he had wanted to come back, I don't believe his, his scholar, his number would have counted against the scholarships. But I think if you change schools, then I believe that it does.
0: Yeah. so, so, the players don't have to sit out right um, next year. Uh,
1: But that, yeah, that's also true. Yeah. That's my understanding. I don't think you'd see as many people in the portal if that wasn't the, uh, the belief that that was the case. Sorry if I didn't answer that. No, no. So
0: that just leads me to understand once I really sat back and thought about that, a lot of people are going to say, you know what? I get a year over again I don't have to sit out. I'm going to see if the fit is better uh, elsewhere. You're seeing names that are from uh, coaches that aren't being uh, let go and programs that aren't in a coaching search um, that are pretty decent names. Especially from the small schools, those those players might be looking to move up, uh, and there are some some players that are maybe looking to move down that didn't have uh, the playing time that they thought at, at a power five school or something would like to go play at a mid major. That avenue happens as well. So that's one thing that I would say to everyone about the transfers. Um, the, the the second thing is and. and And I'm going to try to say this as nice as possible. This team went 12-15 and uh, and had some roster construction issues. So, you know, bringing in more guys that that would fit the new coach might be a good thing for the program in the long run. And and I like all the guys. What really – stung me i guess a little bit was the possibility of of losing armand more than anything because he i thought he was the true indiana guy um and and being one of our, our better guards and like you said you're not losing him he he could still come back but that that hits you a little bit hard as a fan i just took two steps back to know that these guys can come back the other thing is that usually when people enter the transfer portal they're not happy where they're at um this is different with the coaching change, and I think the, the young men are doing what they need to do to make sure they're in the right spot. Uh, coaches can leave. Universities can fire coaches. Players need to have the opportunity to go where they best uh, feel um, to play, and as long as it's not every year they can do it, free agency, that it's once in their four years of eligibility, I am now supporting that. Uh, as an old traditional guy, I had a problem with that for a while. Uh, so I, I have kind of relaxed, Andy, about all of these names going in the transfer portal. And the other thing is, one more thing, is that the new coach is going to have to teach these guys, if they all come back, a new system. So they're all going to be in year one to some extent. Yes, they'll have experience at IU that they can uh, pull from, uh, but bring it in if the new coach comes and brings six or seven transfers, they're going to be learning a new system. It's going to be very similar. And, and so uh, the transfer portal takes, uh, and I think the transfer portal uh, can also deliver uh, some players that we really don't know about. So once I got to that understanding, I was able to relax a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I think you just look around at, at different different places, and I'm not trying to name drop coaches who have been <laughs> – I already mentioned Nate so I'm going to talk about Musselman here now. The, the purpose of this is not really specific to the IU coaching search, but uh, if you look at what Musselman has at, at Arkansas, he's got a bunch of transfers, uh, whether they be – uh, largely grad transfers. You got Justin Smith, obviously, but then Jalen Tate played, you know, close to here at, at Northern Kentucky. Was a really good player. Has, you know, fit in well there. Brought in freshmen and integrated those guys together, and has done a good job of that. And I think have found you know, so much of it is fit. We talk about fit with coaches and we talk about things just didn't click with Archie. You have players who just don't click with people. And I think we can, you know, again, use the Justin Smith example. It it was pretty clear by the end of, you know, last season went on some of the interactions that he and Archie had, you know, coming in and out of games on the sidelines, whatever else, like he just wasn't happy in the, in the system. Didn't either feel like he had the freedom to do what he wanted to do, whether he should have been able to do that or not is up for debate, but he sure looks like a guy who's having a hell of a lot more fun now. Uh, when you watch him play in an Arkansas so, and winning is fun, so perhaps that's part of it. Um, but but he just looks like a guy who found a better fit for him. I before I got on here was you know Greg Gard made some comments I'm kind of kinda, you know joking a little bit about you know he takes Micah Potter. And I was looking back a little bit about them taking him and Potter basically so he left Ohio state. Like I just didn't feel like I was getting in, you know, it was a good fit for me system wise. Wasn't, you know, getting the most out of my ability goes into a different system. Does that well. There's a lot of times that it's the better move for the kid. And if you get a kid who's happier and more comfortable, then it's going to be a better move for the coach that gets him the second time around than it is the first. Um, so yeah, there's a, an element of, yeah, guys, you know serial transfers where they're leaving someplace every year. I don't think anybody's advocating for that, but I do think guys when they're in a system a couple years have a pretty good idea of whether it's going to work out for them. And not always is it running away from something that is is bad, but trying to figure out how to get the most out of their ability, no different than looking for a different job or things like that. So it's there's a fine line. There's there's arguments on on both sides of it, but to me. I, I would err more on the side of, you know, what does the student athlete think is best for them? And if they get there and they're wrong, then lesson learned for them, the grass may not always be greener, but, um, you're going to make mistakes in life and decisions that you regret and think that you would have went back on. And that's all part of the learning process. So I think again, as long as guys aren't transferring every single year, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, you know, let them, see if they're assessing their own situation correctly and what they can do and select in the right place. And it's it's no different than the coaching stuff we talked about. If you pick the right coach that's right for the situation and the culture and everything else, a lot of good things can happen. If you're a player, you pick the right spot for you, a lot of good things can happen.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's something that needs to be embraced uh, with, with the coaching profession, whether we like it or not. Uh, the The guard comments are, are interesting, uh, and coaches want to protect who they bring in because they, it's a lot easier to build with the guys you have um, and not have them transfer out. So a lot of coaches get overprotective, um, and and we're stubborn. Uh, just, I will flatly say that we are stubborn in the way we do things, the style of offense, style of defense. And two, if you've recruited 10 kids, you want those kids to stay for four years. Um, but I think coaches need to adapt to change and the transfer portal is, uh, is part of that change. And you're seeing the coaches that embrace that and bring in good quality transfers are, are moving ahead. Um, you know, Michigan had had two really. They're in the Sweet 16 not because of their returning talent, but because of their transfers. the The point guard, um, the kid who stepped up um, and, and named yeah, are,
1: Mike Smith and Shawnee Brown.
0: And Shawnee Brown, they stepped up and against LSU and replaced. And you know, everyone was doubting whether the injury for for livers was going to allow Michigan to advance in the tournament. Well, they had, they had two grad transfers who's been through uh, a lot and, and they're, they're pulling on that experience uh, throughout another coaching name that we're going to talk about later. Chris Beard has had some success. In, I, was, in, I was just in going to say the same in, thing.
1: This is a great way to weave in every name that's on here. So, so, yeah. so,
0: but it is because the bottom line is maybe in the coaching search, you've got to talk and Scott Dolson's got to ask, what is your philosophy about using the transfer portal? Um, traditionally as an old fan uh that's a negative right that's the luke record transferring out that's you know uh, all the players leaving uh, coach Knight and how that angered all of us as a fan and, and when that's in who you are as a fan uh, you, you react negatively uh, to the word transfer portal I, I i and i don't mean to speak for everyone my age um or or like that but i think that's true but it is an element of building your team just as much it is as recruiting guys at an AAU tournament when they're 16 and 17 years of age. I think you have to have a system. I heard one coach had um, two or three staff members just you know looking at the list every day and writing up a report. Every name on the report, they had a, a report written up and film on them and were are just scouring that list uh, for who they're going to contact and try to try to see. That is an adaptation that I think all coaches really need to be involved with and then you got to work really hard to keep your guys you know, like you got to have a culture where kids really like and buy into your program and if they're the seventh eighth man they would rather stay in that culture than leave and be the you know third or fourth guy in another program so th- there's a couple things that when you look at the qualities of our next coach Andy I think those have to to modernize we we keep talking about modernizing Indiana basketball as a key part the transfer portal and then making sure that you build a culture where people don't massively transfer out all the time is an important piece to whoever the next Indiana coach is.
1: Yeah. you. I mean, you brought up Beard. I, I, again, we're if you're playing uh, potential Coach Bingo, we're doing a pretty good job of knocking him out here. But, uh, you know, he brought in Matt Mooney um, a couple years ago when they made it to the final game. He's done a really good job with that. We were having a, a text exchange between, you know, the, the four of us. At some point in the last couple of weeks. And, and that's one thing he's done good. He brought in Santos Silver from VCU uh, this year to kind of fill, fill needs. And I think there's actually a, I, maybe it's not harder, but, but to me, it's pretty tough if you're a coach to say, especially these grad transfers. And that's where, you know, he's really excelled. I got, I got a guy for one year. I can't pick wrong. Right. I don't want to bring in somebody who's really going to upset the apple cart of the culture that I've tried to build. I need somebody to come in and fill a specific role. So not only being able to identify guys that are going to be good fits, going to be able to fit in quickly, going to be able to fill that role. Um, but also guys who, you know, are going to getting guys to buy into whatever that role might be. Cause you're taking guys who, you know, Mooney is an example. I mean, he was the, you know, one of the stars on his team. I think he went to South Dakota state, North Dakota state, one of those two. And was you know big time scorer, and he scored a lot. He scored well for Texas Tech, but he played a little bit different role. Santos Silva was the guy for VCU. He wasn't necessarily the guy there. And even I think Tariq Owens, he had brought in from I want to say Saint John's um, on that team that made it to the national championship. Like he filled a very specific you know defensive role. Um, and so I think there's it's, there's a real talent involved from a coaching perspective of being able to do that because there's real risk if you mess up on those and bring in a guy who you're really counting on for a year that somehow can't fit into what you're trying to do and really throws a wrench into, into things as well. So I think that's super important. And a lot of the guys, you know, for all kidding aside that we've, we've talked about and a lot of the names that have, have really come up from a a coaching perspective have fit that, even if you throw in the Scott drew of that, um, you know, he's gotten some picked up some, some transfers at Baylor, um, Tony Bennett got one of the Housers, so you know if we say his name a couple more times Jared will pop on you know, stuff like that
0: Yeah Tony Bennett's a good one <laughs> No but you you do you do think that the lack of uh, using the transfer market hurt the last regime in Archie Miller um, with the roster construction with only 10 guys and, and so forth and, and some real deficiencies on, on the roster that could have been filled with, with guys coming in as one-year transfers or two-year transfers. So uh, the, the the question we had, is this, a, is this a big deal, the transfer portal? Yes, it is in the fact that it needs to be used in the right way by the new coach. Uh, we encourage the new coach to bring back as many of, of these Indiana guys as possible. Because we like them as young men and we think they have skills that when coached uh, in certain ways uh, could lead to winning. I think bringing these guys back leads to winning quicker. Uh, than if, if you just have a total transfer transformation of the roster and just have two or three guys back and, and bring in a lot of transfers. But with that being said, it, it can be done, and I think the, the, the transfer portal is a big deal for the next coach uh, to do that and, and to do that well. Okay, coming up on uh, Assembly Call Radio, we're going to reset the coaching search. Uh, what do we know? What do we think we know? And what resume should we reexamine? So uh, stick with us.
2: Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase Player 5.
0: Hi, this is AJ Moye. What's the only thing better than upsetting Duke in the Sweet 16? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach for the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Thanks, AJ. Welcome back to the assembly call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcasts or watch these three plays and see all the between-segment banner, then check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash assemblycall. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Andy Bottoms. And I think what most of you are here for is a little conversation about uh, the coaching search. So we're going to break it down in, in a few segments, uh, what we think we know, um, what we know we don't know, and what we believe should happen, since um, you know we have all the answers, so we're going to kind of go through um, those three segments here, and and hope that you find um, find some information. So what we what we know is that Indiana did make a, a, a an outreach. We don't know how strong it was as far as seriousness to to Brad Stevens, and I think that was obviously uh, shot down. Um, a couple of supposed interviews have been leaked out: Mike Woodson, uh, Calbert Cheney. Uh, those have been leaked out uh, we appreciate um, you know Rick Bozich and Jake query for giving that information there was uh, there was some contact between IU and Thadmata um, to what extent uh, he was asked to do certain things or whatever as, was proven to be false and Indiana sent out a, a statement that there was no deal uh, struck with either Brad Stevens on Saturday they they said no deal was imminent uh, and the only other thing we heard from the Indiana athletic department uh, other than no deal on Stevens on Saturday was on Monday or Tuesday when the Thad Mata stuff broke that there was uh, no um, no deal had been struck with Mata and no physical and that story was was debunked so that that's kind of what we we kind of know or we at least think we know as far as the official uh, process Andy what what sticks out to you in 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 all of this uh, that we we've kind of heard from or heard about?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the 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 Stevens piece has been talked about enough, and and how how far that really got is is up for debate. So I don't know that we need to dwell on that any more than has already been done. Uh, you know, I think the the Woodson and Cheney pieces are uh, are are interesting. I, I think that you would certainly have expected a, a quote unquote IU guy to get a look. We can debate the merits of whether that's you know, should be a qualification, should matter at all, whatever the case may be. But I think if you're, if you're Dolson, you probably at least have to, to talk to a couple of, again, quote unquote, I, you guys, uh, the Woodson one has been more widely painted than, than Cheney, I think. And, uh, there are certainly points to be made on either side. I think the, the Steven's St- aspect of this has really framed almost everything else and has set almost everything else up to be somewhat disappointing, which I'm trying not to fall into that trap a little bit, especially because the the reality of the Stevens thing happening was always pretty, pretty low. Um, so y- you look at those two and you say there's NBA experience there uh, in Woodson's case, there's some head coaching experience with Chaney. It's more in an assistant capacity. He served in some assistant roles what you don't have in either one is a guy who's been a head coach at a, a college program of any size. Uh, and, and in Woodson's case, you don't, you have a guy who hasn't worked in the college game at all. Um, Cheney's served different roles there, both with IU and St. Louis. How much of that you would, would give as a, a reason to do that? I don't know. And, and, and if, if there's a model that Dolson would be looking at there, it would, have to kind of be juan howard but more a guy that has nba experience and ties to the school i don't think that either one of those guys really fits the bill of what howard was whether it's from a recency standpoint who he's really worked with his nba career a lot of those kinds of things so i don't know that that's really an apples to apples comparison but i think that's the line people are are trying to draw so um i i guess my general thoughts on all of it at this point are I and plenty of other people thought the Archie hire was a great one and proved to be totally wrong. So I'm also not gonna prop myself up to think that I'm so smart to say if this guy's gonna be bad that it's gonna turn out badly. Um, so I don't know if that gives me a more open mind to different candidates um, in that in that way or not, but that's kind of how I'm framing it up is that I didn't know anything before and uh, so I, to, to sit here and say I know somebody's not gonna work uh, this time is, probably foolish, but there are certainly some holes you can shoot in the candidacy of, of either of those those two guys, I think, at this point.
0: Yeah, I, I think with, with this group, um, and we'll touch on the others uh, coming up, o- on this group, um, w- what I'm taking away, Andy, is I- I'm just really, at this point, um, really pleased with Scott Dolson and, and the approach the athletic department is taking. He said um, when, when he mentioned the process that he was going to go about it himself, that he was not going to put any parameters on has-to-have experience, has-to-be-an-IU guy, that he's going to entertain a, um, a variety of candidates, and I'm sure he had a, his list. I, I'm not sure he's opening it up to 20 or 30 or anyone who called the IU athletic department. But what we can gather from this whole process, this 10-day process, is that he's probably doing what he told us he was going to do, and that is talk to a wide variety of people. Uh, and I think there's been a lot of you know, speculation by people close to the program or hearing that this phone call is happening or, or you know, this little piece of information, and then, then it gets out and it just gets amplified over and over and over again because we're all in one place. We all want Indiana basketball to be back to its winning ways. And that's where the root of all of this uh, comes from. And so when we get a little piece about Stevens, we know that would have been really great. When we get a little piece about Mata, that would be okay, you know, maybe not as great as Stevens, but we want the solution and we wanted it yesterday, you know, or five minutes after Archie was fired, because we're just tired. It's been 20 years of struggle with a couple of bright spots in, in those 20 years, and we're just ready to maybe make the right hire. And so I think we're all excited. And that excitement then leads us to buy the little pieces of chatter that come out, um, so we get over, you know, when Woodson is interviewed, everyone thinks that's the next step. Uh, and, and the other thing I would say to the listeners is it's a process that he's probably going to interview five to 10 people that were on his list and find out information. And through that interview, he might even then find, I like this. I don't like this. And, and it might move from one candidate to the other. And are we in the offer stage and trying to hammer out details? We might be, we, we, we don't know that. But the, the Woodson and Chaney thing, I think, are interviews that he was going to do from the day he he fired Archie. And I don't think there's anything more to read into it. I don't think there's a hierarchy. Um, the latest buzz is that it's got to be an IU guy. I don't think Dolson um, – Dolson wants to hire the right coach. I, that's what I gather. and And we'll all judge and, and criticize or compliment when that decision is made. But I think he's doing a disservice if he didn't call Brad Stevens. I think he does a disservice if he doesn't call Chris Beard and interview IU guys with NBA experience so that he knows exactly what he wants. And if it ends up to be Mike Woodson, then we'll we'll have to talk about that. But we are all jumping way too quick on every little piece of information that we get as this was number one, then he went to number two, now this guy's number three. And I don't think that's the process that Scott Dolson is going through. I think he's just he's casting a, not a wide net but a, the net that he wants to and then he's going to make that decision from there and inside that in his own mind i think he has a hierarchy um but but that's that's what i take um from from what we know is kind of going on what we don't know
1: yeah i it, think i think before before you yeah. get before you get into the next part i think something that you said there was is is important to touch on i think if you're hiring for any position you want to get guys with a diverse set of backgrounds so that you can talk to different people and understand what their what their slant is on what they would bring to the program and how they would run it and how their experiences shape what they do. If you go and enter, in an interview only mid major coaches or only guys that you know only IU guys or only whatever, like I think you're doing yourself a disservice, and that's where. I agree with what you said that the way that Dolson's handled it both from not doing a whole lot publicly, which unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately leads to a lot of the you know, speculation that we see, but also being able to kind of keep it under wraps and go through a process that says, hey, I'm going to talk to different kinds of people. And then ultimately it's up to him to decide who he thinks can handle the job, regardless of what their past experiences that may have prepared them to do it, maybe better than somebody else. But candidate a has different skills that he thinks would be a good fit versus candidate B. Like you're trying to balance all that out. You you're not creating this like Frankenstein coach where you can take pieces of this guy and pieces of that guy and piece it all together. Like there isn't a, if if there was anybody that was close to a perfect guy, I think people would say that was Stevens. But once you move past that, everybody's got something that you might not like and something that you may wish was different. And so you've got to figure out, figure out how to do that and to me that's like any hiring process no matter what the job is this one's certainly a lot more high profile than that and you're looking for different things but the ability and willingness to interview different kinds of people to figure out who might be the best fit to me is the right approach and then like i said if you're somebody who has you know i value something different than he does and my knee-jerk reaction is to say i'm not sure this is going to work i'm going to think back to well i really thought archie was going to work everybody people were excited about about Crean at at you know at different points for what he brought to the table and those didn't work out for completely different reasons but you you know you know it when you see it and ultimately winning is going to bring everybody together we've talked about this with recruiting kids from iu yeah there's a certain level of pride with seeing a bunch of guys from iu wearing the jersey but if you had a bunch of guys from california wearing the jersey and the team was winning at this point and maybe at any point i'm not sure that people care all that much If the guy that's coaching went to IU, played for IU, did whatever, and they're losing, I don't know that that buys him a whole lot of time based on the way things are. And if it was somebody that didn't go to IU, I don't think people are going to be like, man, well, that that win over a top-five team was really good, but I really would have enjoyed that more if it was somebody that went to IU. Nobody's going to say that. So, I don't know. That's my two cents on all that.
0: Resumes are great, but they don't tell you everything right? So you, you, we, we've had a guy in that went to, you know, that won a lot of games and went to the elite eight and it didn't work out because it was the wrong person. You've got to get the right person regardless of resume. That might be someone with 300 wins and, and, and has been to the final four. It might be someone that, um, maybe someone who doesn't have head coaching experience, um, but they, they come and they approach Scott Dolson and they have what Scott thinks is right for Indiana. That's where we have to trust Scott Dolson um, quite a bit here um, to to make that decision. This is a very very important hire, and it's it's all about the right fit. And the right fit is more important than anything on the resume, anyone where they've been at, uh, whether they've demonstrated they could do it or not. We all have our uh, our wishes. You know, I would like someone with experience because I think it's a really the IU job is is really tough and unique, and, and you need someone who's been through the battles. But that's Brian Tonsoni's thought, right? I, um, but I think Scott Dolson has done a, a really good job of understanding what he wants to accomplish, and he's really accomplishing it. And he's thrown out just two bits of information to really keep that in focus when when people – we're, we're talking about done deals uh, with, with Stevens and then the Thad Mata story that was proven false. They put that out because they wanted their process to be as pure as possible. So I'm a big Scott Dolson fan right now um, from what I can tell. And that's that. I can't tell anything. Um, and, and that's kind of a, a weird thing. We we do welcome Jared Morris to the show. Glad your daughter um, was able to get some, some rest. Uh, and we are just now in segment two talking about um, – uh what we know and what we don't know. We're we're getting ready to go to what we don't know. Um and, and what we don't know are these things. And the
3: meat I, of the segment, I'm assuming. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, the, I said earlier the meat of the seg- the segment is reckless speculation. That's yeah. when we're really gonna get to. But this section will be close.
0: How far how far did talks go um with Stevens and Mata? Um, has Indiana reached out to Chris Beard? We don't know that. Uh, we kind of assume how serious are the Woodson and Cheney. Uh, uh, conversations and are they serious candidates and then no one's talked about John Beeline so Jared um, your thoughts on on kind of what we don't know um, uh, about some of those top um, candidates
3: well I mean I think that's the big thing is there's a lot that we don't know you know and obviously in a coaching search like this in the social media age with so much attention and passion among the IU fan base we kind of fill that vacuum with speculation and kind of what we hope happens or, you know, what we think kind of makes sense. But I do think it's really important right now at this point in the coaching search to really take a step back and recognize how much we don't know, you know, like, like Chris Beard's name, for example, is one that's been talked about a lot, you know, he's at the top of, of list. Like he comes up in our text messages that we exchange a lot. And the truth is we have no idea if Indiana has contacted him. We don't know, you know, we assume it, it seems like it would make sense. But you know, there's also reasons why Scott Dolson might be looking in another direction. So we honestly have no idea. So it's kind of like we sit here, okay, Texas Tech lost, and now it's like, okay, next 48 hours, you know, if something's gonna happen with Indiana and Beard, here it comes. We haven't heard anything, but we don't we don't know why that is. You know, so I just think at this point it's important to to recognize that. And I think to you know, to at a certain point. You know, look, we all, you know, we rely on sites like Inside the Hall and Peagues and, you know, Rick Bozich and, you know, all the guys who go out there and gather news. You know, we rely on them to, to kind of let us know what's going on with the sources that they have and all of that stuff. You know, in the absence of that, to a certain point, we need to be responsible, but we also need to kind of rely on our common sense. And it's like, all right, you know, we don't really know if anything has happened with Chris Beard yet, but gosh, the more time goes by the less likely it is that something's going to happen there. You know, same thing with with Mike Woodson, with Calvert Chaney, with John Beeline, with Thad Mott. It's like all these guys are, they're not, they don't have head coaching jobs right now. If it was going to happen with them, you would think that it would happen. Now, again, we don't know the specifics of any of those, but you just look at it from a common sense perspective and it's like, well, maybe it's not. Maybe they're, you know, those aren't options. Maybe they were options that we were looking at, but we don't really know the details. But how likely are they to be the choice? Sure seems like it gets less likely by the day. So we're kind of in this space right now where we don't know a lot, but we do have some common sense to go on and some precedents from the past that we can kind of go on and make some, some inferences. You need to be responsible with those. You can't report them like they're fact, but all of us as fans can kind of start to add it up, put two and two together and start to look ahead and say, well, shoot, maybe some of these coaches that are still coaching that we didn't necessarily think were big candidates, maybe they're bigger candidates than we thought. And so that's kind of where we are: is we're having to fill this gap without information, uh, with trying to make these inferences. Um, as long as we, you know, do it responsibly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because that's do, really the only option we have right now.
0: Andy, do you think that um, we're we're all in such a hurry that Dolson had a time frame that's not our time frame, and. and- you know, I agree, Jared. You're thinking like, okay, if Woodson was a candidate, he'd be hired right now. Um, but it, do you think, when, as we said in the first segment, that Dolson is just – he had his plan and he's going to interview the guys in his 5 to 10, you know, um, candidate search that he had going into the firing, Archie. has he telling these guys, hey, I'm going to make a decision by the end of the tournament, uh, but I want to talk to you or whatever, so that he can keep everyone – or is there a danger maybe in doing that um, as well? That if you have a guy, do you need to do you need to make a move instead of being patient? Um, your thoughts, Andy, on that because we don't know the time frame, right? That Scott has, yeah, has set. Yeah, I think it's
1: I think it's tricky, and I, I think the other piece of that is if you've still got guys that are coaching in the tournament that you want to talk to, I'm not sure how many guys are going to want to interview or how in-depth you can really get before that. So just because I'm going to use beard muscleman as the, I guess, easiest example. So they're playing one another. You know that one of them is going to lose that person. You might be able to talk to right away. The other one is going to move on. You probably have to wait till they're out to talk to them. So you may have talked to some of the people you've got to wait till ever, you know, the, the last man standing that you want to talk to is out of the tournament before you can go back and do that. And then you go back and look at all the candidates and say, all right, this is the decision that I made. I don't know. I I think most of these guys understand that. And I don't know that you're leading anybody on or keeping somebody on the hook for, well, then you need to, in that scenario, I think they would, would understand how it works. Um, I think it may suggest that, you know, even if the the perceived top choice is somebody that you've already talked to, if you still have other guys you want to talk to, would you still want to, you know, are things close enough? You'd want to have those conversations when, at the point in time that you could. So I guess that's my general thought on it. I do think, I think patience is, is hard to come by and people want to know who it is because they want something to get excited about. I think you see the, you know, hope and engagement and enthusiasm for it. So you just want the next thing to happen to get excited. Well, hopefully get excited about maybe, maybe trash, who knows, but you want, (laughs) you want to be able to, you know, kind of move on to whatever that, that decision is and then figure out the next pieces of it because then the next step after that is who's coming back from a player perspective. What transfers are you going to get? What recruits are you going to get? It all kind of starts to roll downhill, but none of that stuff happens until you figure the coach out. So I do think there's a wanting to know what happens and starting to spin forward to think about what we hope will be happier times, but it's hard to do that when you really want to do, let him do the due diligence and have the time to talk to all the people that, that he needs to.
0: And I think it, he's it coach- in a good spot too, because this is the best job that's open. Uh, um. You know, and, and if you want to come to Indiana and have a chance to win a national championship, you're going to wait um, until Scott Dolson does his due diligence. If not, go to Cincinnati that just opened up. Um, you know, we, we want a guy who wants to come in here and, and, and win, and if it's going to take, you know, um, Scott Dolson two weeks from the day he fired him and, and he's upfront with that, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think that's really, really smart. Um, the, the, the concern would come if there were multiple top-level jobs and you're in a race to get someone, then you might have to speed up uh, the the timeline. But I think Scott Dolson's in a very comfortable – not comfortable because this is a tough, tough, tough decision, but <laughs> time-wise, I think he's doing – again, I think he's doing a really good job, and I will echo what both of you guys say, and I know you believe, is that we need to be patient and let Scott do his job because he wants to get the right guy. Um, yeah. And the right guy may say no. But he's going to try like heck to get the right guy uh, into Indiana, and that's not something to be rushed.
3: And, Coach, I want to clarify one thing just just to make clear from what I said – like I, I believe Mike Woodson and Calvert Cheney are serious candidates. I don't mean to say that they that they weren't serious candidates, and it could still end up being one of those guys. Because I think the point that you made is a good one. Like, you know, those guys have been sitting out, especially Woodson and Cheney, You know, they're not candidates for other jobs right now, and it very well may have been a conversation of, look, you know, we're going to do our due diligence, interview everybody, and then make a decision. Right. You know, and, and maybe they had that conversation with John Beeline too, and he really wants the Indian job, so he's willing to wait. That stuff could all be possible. Again, it's just it's it's a little bit less likely. That's all I mean. But I don't want to discount. Like we shouldn't stop thinking about those guys because I think they're all legitimate possibilities.
0: Well, you also have to have a what if scenario too. I mean, if you are waiting for coaches who are in the tournament, you have a conversation and they decide no, or or maybe you interview them and there's some issues that come up in the interview where Scott Dolson doesn't feel comfortable. You don't want to you don't want to push away your next tier of candidates either, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you might have to go to them. So that's a fine line. Um, I think that you have to go, and that's something that we all don't know that's going on. There's just a a real select few that that do know uh, what the process is. But I do agree with you that the longer this goes, it tells me that there's someone that's in the tournament, or they're waiting on someone, or to interview at least to interview. I don't know if there's a hierarchy, um, but to complete the whole interview search process, the longer it goes means that there There's some guys in the tournament that's also being considered as well as IU guys mm-hmm. all right what um what we think we know moving forward um we've kind of just touched upon some of that, obviously, there was a hierarchy if you you make a call and Steven says no and he said no, and then you move to your regular search um you know the the question becomes if Chris Beard was that next level, was he an automatic one too? Like if he said yes on Tuesday, the day after he was eliminated, would you have named him or is he part, is Scott Dolson after his dream of Stevens is now going to go through the whole process? That's the question for me is, you know, th- th- those are some issues too. in in the timing, if you have your guy and he's available, do you pull the trigger? It seems like Scott Dolson's just going to uh, wait on, on a lot of those guys. Um, Jared, your thoughts yeah. on, on going forward.
3: Well, no, I mean, it, you know, it's a good point that you have. It's like, okay, Steven says no. Who's the next guy? And it's easy to put Beard in there because he's got the reputation. Again, we have no idea if Indiana ever called. There may have been right. reasons why he was off Scott Dolson's list, you know? So, so that's the thing. And now, you know, you start to look forward to the guys that are still coaching. And it's like, all right, well, if these guys, you know, who makes the most sense, you know, of, of the guys that are still there, you know, Mark Few from Gonzaga. Not happening. <laughs> I, I do. I do enjoy when people still throw his name out there. I do. <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen though. Um, yeah, you know, there may have been a time when yeah, that was possible that time maybe. has has long
1: passed, long <laughs> gone,
3: long gone. Um, but no, you know, you start, what are the names that we've heard, right? Scott drew is a name that we've heard. Uh, people of late have been talking about Dana Altman, Porter Moser's name got a lot of attention, you know, seeing what Loyola Chicago did to Illinois. Um, Andy Enfield is another one. Eric Musselman is another one. Um, You know, Nate Oates is one that a lot of people have talked about. That seems totally unreasonable because he kind of took his name out of contention. I know that doesn't mean that a coach might not go, but it seems really, really unlikely that Nate Oates is going anywhere. So, you know, the reason why I've started doing a lot of re examining of Porter Moser's resume in particular is because, like, if you just kind of ask me, okay, of those five guys, who do you think would be the most likely? for Scott Dolson to zero in on. I would think it would be him because he, to me, has the best combination of like resume, personality fit. He's kind of been in the region. Like there's a lot of things that kind of add up that I I just think if you start adding all those things up, it's more for him than it is for the other guys. Now you can debate like, well, Scott Drew's had more success and this, that, and the other. You know, Eric Musselman plays this NBA style and this is all true. Just This is just me. You know, and, and, you know, over the last 24, 48 hours, you've heard more chatter about him too. You know, our friends at Hoosier Hysterics, you know, talked about him on, on the show that they did this morning. Um, you know, and, and I think we all kind of had that knee jerk reaction during the Illinois game. It's like, okay, they're having this big game, but the guy's only been to two tournaments. He's a mid major guy, he plays a slow pace. What are we just going to rehire Archie Miller here? And I would say, and we don't need to get into all of it right now. And and I bought into that when it first happened, as I've thought about it more and dug into his resume and actually looked at things. I don't think that's as good of a comparison as it seems on the surface. Um, now, will there be a, a five point argument in favor of Porter Moser to try and bring balance to the discussion at some point, you know, can't, can't rule it out. Um, but I just think, you know, that's, that's one thing that we should guard against is some of those knee jerk reactions that happen on Twitter. And we all get kind of excited about them. Sometimes it's good to kind of take a step back and think, well, you know, was that, was that actually right with that? And I think, you know, to anybody listening to this, the more you kind of dig into his backstory, um, I think you're really going to like what you see. And it, 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 you know, you look at how bad Loyola Chicago has been for their history and to see what he's done there. The run that he's gone on is a lot more impressive than I realized it was because I just didn't know the history of Loyola. So that's what I mean. I think this is a good time now, instead of trying to, Fill it with speculation. Look at some of the names you've heard and go do some research on your own. You know, and kind of see, you know, maybe my preconceived notions of this coach aren't right, or maybe they are. Confirm them. Um, but to me, as I kind of re-examine them, he's the one that I have changed my tune on the most because I actually think there's a lot to like there um, with him. And frankly, of the five guys there, if you like if you made me guess who would be the five out of that five, who seems most likely, i I think it's him by by a hair because I just think, he he just seems like the better fit to me when you kind of add everything up.
0: It, it's gonna it would come down to whether he wanted to to come to Indiana or or, or not, um,
3: or if we offered it to him. Or, like or, you yeah, know, I have no I idea mean, if that's the thing we don't know. I
0: tell you personally, he is an outstanding person, and I know we need a winning basketball coach more than just an outstanding person. But um, I I think he has some potential. Um, I know my son, who is a manager at Indiana State, speaks so highly of Porter. Uh, and his interactions when he hosted and, and welcomed them in uh, to the Rose Holman Center, and, and he would sit down and and have a conversation with the manager from the opposing team, um, like he was his best friend. He just is he just is that kind of guy that that I think we've missed in the last two two coaching things. We've had coaches that worked hard and and knew the game, but didn't get it done for a variety of reasons, and a lot of it goes back to. Maybe, and this is might not be fair, but their personality, um, you know, they, they didn't seem to relate uh, to people in the program, in the athletic department, whatever. There just seemed to be a disconnect uh, with Crean and Miller to some extent along those lines. And I, and um, uh, the Tate Hall kid played for um, Coach Lewis, who I coach for. So I know the Hall family, and I've had interactions with um, with Tate and, and his parents, uh, outstanding young man, by the way. When you watch Loyola, does a lot of winning plays uh, for them. But I think that would be uh, an interesting, interesting hire. Uh, one that got some momentum uh, late, but um, he's got some options. You know that, that going from a mid-major. Uh, you know the Marquette jobs open, and that might be something you know from Loyola to Marquette that 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 fits his. But Andy, do you who is still in the tournament? We've talked Porter. Who else really grabs uh, your attention, or um, you think would be, you know, I, I saw the Andy Enfield stuff. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of that. But um, anyone that's still playing, if this thing keeps going longer, I think Jared's absolutely correct that we're waiting to talk to these guys. Um, and it seems like that, that might be, um, why the delay.
1: Yeah. I, uh, the guys are out there, although this one, I think based on the way that this was framed up here is perhaps the, well, maybe not the least attainable. That's probably few, but, um, I mean, I still really like NATO. It's I, I, again, I, I, I tend to fall in line with what we had written in the run sheet that that seems highly unlikely given, his buyout he said he you know was interested all those kinds of things um so he he would be the one that seems to have a pretty good mix of what you'd be looking for doesn't at least on a surface level have some of the uh potential off-court stuff that that maybe you you might find if you dug a little bit on some of the other guys um so he, he would be the one but like i said that that feels like the one that's least attainable the porter moser one is uh is interesting and i, I admittedly haven't done uh, the level of research that it that it sounds like uh, Jared has, um, but uh, I've had a lot of time walking around
3: with a sleeping baby, and I've been able to do research <laughs> on my phone with the other hand. So last night I was digging into Porter Moser. <laughs>
1: Lots of time. You, you do what you got to do. <laughs> do what you got to do. <laughs> um, so I, I think you know my bigger questions for him would be you know kind of putting aside the 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 somewhat natural linking of him to somebody like Archie who'd had some success at a, a lower level conference for a somewhat sustained period of time, you know, making that leap. I think it's, does his style, is his style one that he would be willing to, you know, would he adjust from it at all? How does he recruit higher level players to that um, yeah. and different things like that, that, that you'd really need to compete at this level. That That's more of my questions. It's, it's not a basketball acumen question by by any stretch of the imagination because i think from a, a true coaching standpoint he'd be right toward the top of the list with the with the guys that you mentioned so those would be the at least the reservations that i would have and um you know style of play i think uh, again we talked about this last week i think where you don't necessarily need to swing the pendulum all the way the other way but there's probably a little uh, potential ptsd of uh of, of watching slow paced basketball and some of that stuff that that people may be uh, turned off by at least on the surface
3: I just appreciate how Jay Horry referred to him as Tony Bennett light and apparently thought that that was going to sway my opinion away from Porter Moser.
1: Um, I don't think there's any way that, I don't know if you thought that would sway your uh, opinion from that. No, but, but
3: I, I but I do I I want to make one point on that though real quick cuz Andy you bring up a lot of the, the the cons against Moser and look, you know, I heard, before I hopped on I heard you guys talking about how you know, like all these there's no perfect candidates, right? So they all have some pros, they all have some cons and you just listed out the ones for for Porter Moser. You know, style of play has been an interesting discussion. You know, we want to play faster. We want like a more up tempo kind of NBA style or whatever, like an offense that attracts recruits. And if you like all else equal, I want that too. But if it's a choice between the person the coach is or the style that they play, I would go for the person, right? So like, you know, I don't like Tony Bennett's system. I tolerate it. I like him. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a great leader. You know, so if you have to choose between the two, give me the right guy for the job. Let him, you know, work his system, but the right coach is going to win, you know, and a lot of different systems can win. So I think we need to be careful. We want everything, you know, but we have to be careful that we don't, you know, just get stuck with a certain system or a certain this, that, or the other. We got to get the right guy to lead the program. Um, and so I'm willing to I'm willing to compromise on system if we've got the right guy. And that to me, and everybody has different criteria. I don't know what Scott Dolson's is, but that would be at the top of the list for me. Criteria wise,
0: I, I think the right guy is is. The best thing that that you've said, and in, in several of the uh, of the talks that we we've had, um, to limit it, we, we just have to because I think, um, and I don't want to take away from coaching, but a lot of us know X's and O's. It's the psychology behind it um, that that really matters, and you need to have the right person to deliver that in a right way, not only to the people that you're coaching but to the the people you work with in the athletic department to the fans to all of that you need to hire the right person so i, I think that's something that i would advise all of our listeners to really uh focus on and, and we don't know what that those qualifications are for scott dolson we all we all could d- debate a list but coming up uh, in our third segments we have a lot more questions about the coaching search that we will continue to talk about and we have a ton so this will be fun stick with us here on the assembly call
2: This is Tim Priller, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call.
0: Hello, I'm Coach Tonsoni. I'm here with Jared and Andy tonight as we talk more about Indiana's uh, coaching search and remember... You need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU news roundup, even during the off season. And after every game, we send out a detailed post game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's uh, time now for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our our private IU basketball discussion community, assemblycall.com backslash community. And, um, We're going to start off with this. It's not that
2: good, but it's not
0: that bad. It's Jay's mediocre
2: question.
0: (laughs) Uh, Jay, that was not on my board. That was on someone else's board. But uh, you just got booed. Uh, there was a whole conversation on Twitter about that earlier. But anyway, <laughs> Jay's mediocre question is not really mediocre for for a change. Um, no, it's good. It, he says, break down your coaching candidate list in terms of hires that would make you the following. Ecstatic, happy, satisfied, underwhelmed, but I'll talk myself into it by October. Disappointed, or I'm having another kid so I don't have to do this show anymore level coaching search which would really be uh bad for me because well I will just leave it that uh I, I i can't do that anymore so now that the secrets are out but i will still participate in that question even though it's highly impossible so uh, jared you owe me for all the stuff that i say to make people laugh <laughs> i put the ass in assembly in assembly call that's, that's, that's what I do. Anyway, here we go. Jay's mediocre question. Uh, guys will rapid fire. If you want to add some thoughts to it. Um, the ecstatic coach, uh, Andy, we'll start with you. Uh,
1: well, I mean, if, if Steven's is included in this, I think that would be the, uh, the, the clear choice, but I'd, I'd probably throw, uh, Beard and Nate Oates into that category as well. Jared ecstatic.
3: <sighs> yeah, I think ecstatic. I'd be ecstatic for Brad. Steve. I mean, I'll preface all of this by saying I'm ecstatic that we'll have a new direction, right? So like, just as a general umbrella, I'm ecstatic for a new direction. But to, you know, once you get past that, yeah, I think Brad Stevens is in there. To me, that's the only really ecstatic one. Um, cause I think all the other ones have a lot of question marks to where I could be excited about a lot of them, but I don't think I'm going to be ecstatic unless, you know, unless the miracle happens. Uh, we're not so, saying that it's going to get there. So we're not I've, already, hope for it.
0: I've already discounted that. That's done and said and over, and there's no chance. I, I have a better chance of growing hair than Brad Stevens coming to IU. So um, I went. Probably. I went with uh, Chris Beard. I'd just be ecstatic. I think he's the best coach in, in college basketball. And, and if I, I were IU to get him, I think that would ease a lot of the issues that we've had. Uh, no guarantees, obviously, with all of this. You know, I'm really backing off the the, the love affair of coaches uh, for a while um, after the last last debacle but um what makes you happy um Andy what higher will make you happy
1: uh I I guess to me happy and satisfied I guess are a little bit a little bit close together so I I think I know you had I think this is yours that we're in here I think you had beeline in that category as kind of a safety net probably limited downside uh of of where you'd be so I guess that's probably a, a fair one for that one
3: we're all married men here. There's definitely a difference between happy and satisfied. We can, we could admit that. Um, no, no comment. Serious AC after dark territory already. Oops. Um, we needed that. Yeah. I feel like this is going to be a Charlie Steiner moment coming up here. I'm just not going to be able to talk. Okay. Um, yeah, so happy. I would be happy with Chris Beard. I would be. Ha- I'd be happy now with Porter Moser. Actually, I'm. I'm to the point now where I'd be happy with him. Um, I think I'd be. I'd be satisfied. I'd be happy with John Beeline, too. Um, if you can get the best coach in the Big Ten for the next ten years, even with all of his questions, I'd be happy with him. Um, and then I think satisfied wise, I'd be satisfied with Mike Woodson. Um, I'd be satisfied. There's probably some other ones too. Um, but the, that off the top of my head, those I'd be happy with any of those three guys.
0: Happy with Beeline, um, and um, satisfied if, if it was Thad Mata. I think those two retired coaches um, can can come back and do some some really good things and stabilize um, stabilize the program. Uh, Andy, underwhelmed, but you'll talk yourself into it uh, by October. Uh,
1: I, I think probably I. I'd probably talk myself into any of them, but maybe not any, but, but most, I, I would maybe put the IU guys in this category. So whether that's Woodson Cheney, Fife Lewis, what, whatever you want to do, I think, I think some of those would be harder to talk yourself into than others based on level of experience. But I think those are ones where you could say, well, maybe this really will be the difference and here's somebody who understands it and whatever else like that. That's kind of how I would view that one. So I, I'll kind of lump the, the guys with the IU ties into that one.
3: Yeah, and I you know, the way Jay has it on here with disappointed and then I'm having another kid so I don't have to do the show anymore. I think the lowest I, I, that I would actually go is underwhelmed because I actually – I have a pretty good belief in Scott Dolson. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. Unless he, like, hires Ryan to be the coach, I'd be pretty underwhelmed if he hired Ryan, <laughs> right? I mean, I'd be excited for the inside knowledge that we would get, but I'd be underwhelmed. Um, but I, I I trust Scott Dolson's process. So, like, for example, if Calvert Chaney were hired – Obviously, I would be excited and like pumped up, but looking at it from an analyst point of view, I would be underwhelmed by the hire because it just feels like we can do better than someone with his limited experience and no head coaching experience. Um, You know, and there are probably a few other guys uh, that that are in that category, but that's probably as far as I would go. Now, I think we'd all, we'd be able to find the positives in those guys and try to figure out what did Scott Dolson see and what's his vision. And okay, you know, that vision could work. There may be a lot more risks than with another guy, but it could work. But I think that's probably as far as I would go. Cause I think, I think Scott Dolson, it, it, what seems most likely to me is that he's probably got a couple different visions for where this could go and a couple different templates for how he sees it working. And he's going to try and figure out which candidate, you know, fits into those templates that kind of works the best and that's who he's going to pick. And I, you know, so I think he's going to make a, a good decision at minimum. I just, I really struggled to see any decision that would just be like, my God, what was he thinking? And even if I did think that I'd have to remember, we all liked Archie. So maybe let's just take a step back and let this one play out.
0: I, I said, um, the IU guys, I can lump that together in underwhelmed, uh, but would talk myself into it. I'm going to talk myself into it no matter what, because I'm an IU guy. So whoever the new coach is at some point, uh, my job is to be a fan and support, uh, the program uh and, and I do trust Scott Dolson um I, I would be a little disappointed if if we're breaking in a new coach that doesn't have head coaching experience whether it've been in the NBA or yeah. in college I, I just we 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 have to get this right in my opinion right now or we you know if we if we're doing this again in 3 or 4 years I I think that that's really damaging to the program I think this is just a really important hire the pressure's on the hire and it doesn't mean that it's going to go okay, but um, the, the, there has to be some level of you, you've run a program before if you're going to coach at Indiana, um, in, in my opinion. And I I just threw a name out there to honor Jay's question, but I'm not a big uh, Andy Enfield coach I a I, supporter, but um, like I said, I I'm out of the having kid business anyway, so I'm here for the long run of hosting these shows.
3: I mean, he'd have three open assistant coach positions to promise to recruits' families, so he might be able to get off you know, get off the ground running early. <laughs> Same.
1: Hey, it's working for him. What are you going to do? <laughs> I, you just know, the, the one that I'll throw in there, and I, I, I'm saying this a little bit just because I saw a couple people in the chat mention it, although someone mentioned that I shouldn't be making decisions. so. Um, <laughs> but Dana Altman, and, and not because of coaching, I think if it was purely a coaching situation, I'd put him really close to the top of the list i think he's done a fantastic job wherever he's been but if you do uh even some cursory research about a uh rape sexual assault situation and how he handled that um i think you'd probably talk yourself out of him pretty quickly from that standpoint so i'll let everyone do their own i'll let everyone do their own homework on that but
0: so uh, we we got a bunch of questions and they're really really good um we appreciate all, all of you that send us in questions kent um says there's a lot of unrest with the fan base right now during this coaching search and all the peripheral items that it has an impact on, i.e. players going into the transfer portal, et cetera. Obviously, those of us listening to the assembly call cannot control the entire fan base, but what can we do to limit the negative aspects of the IU fan base during the search and after the next coach is announced? Um, Who would like to start off um, with that one?
1: I'll let Jared go first on that one.
3: I mean, I, I kind of... Honestly, I want to hear Andy talk about it because I I feel like I get preachy about this stuff too much, and
1: I'd kind of like to hear what you guys think about it. Um, I I mean, you guys you guys had some back and forth a, a little bit along these lines today, so I, I you guys may be better to handle it. I, you know, I, I'm not really sure. In, in some ways, what can really be done? I mean, if if we put this in the context of what's out on social media and Twitter. I think if the last year has probably taught us uh, it's taught us many things, but one of the things it's probably taught us is to take a lot of that stuff with a with a a giant grain of salt and to really understand that it's all out there. If you want to find the worst of the worst about anything or anybody, you don't have to look too hard. Um, and I think that's not that's certainly true of the fan base, right? Like you don't have to look too hard to find people who are, you know, tweeting terrible things at players, you know, all the stuff like that. You don't have to look very hard for that. And I don't know that that's really anything we can control. I think everybody individually can look at how they respond to certain situations. And I think even if we all look back over time at how we've done that, there's probably a a maturity aspect to how that changes over time, whether that's getting older or having kids and being able to put your kids in the situation of the, of the players um, that, that you may be compelled to do that with. And that all just comes with time, maturity, whatever else. But I'd also say that as we think about what hopefully we've gotten out of, you know, the last year or so, like this is all supposed to be fun and positive and whatever else. And when you get to the point when it becomes that, terrible and frustrating and upset that you get to a point where you think you need to go tell a 18, 19, 20 year old kid how you feel about what they did or something like that, then just go find something else. Like this is not life is too short to get hung up on stuff that doesn't really bring you, um, you know, joy or fun or whatever. It doesn't mean it has to be great every single second, every single game, every single, whatever. But by and large, we've continued to do the show over the years because it's been, enjoyable for us to talk about and it's something that we're passionate about and and like a lot and get a lot of enjoyment out of um maybe not as much as we've liked the last few years, but in general, um, where you kind of place it in your life, it should be something that's that that's fun. So just I guess don't take stuff too seriously and engage in stuff that really doesn't doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things and portray something as positively as you can. And if you can't portray it in a positive light, then Maybe just don't portray anything at all. Um, the old can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. I, I don't know. Just approach it with, with a level of kindness. I guess is be the way that I would I would do it. Hope others follow suit and know that not everybody will.
0: Well said. I I, I would add that all all fan bases have the element that gets crazy, especially with social media now. So the IU fan base isn't isn't as different um, as. As any other places, uh, at, at IU, sometimes the negative people, whether they're they're um, people with money or not money, do get heard a little bit more. And I think it's just because Indiana's a high profile job, or it's a, it's a high profile school. Uh, and and so you know, when when the fan base is upset, it, it's a point of conversation uh, nationally, and it's it's a point of conversation. Um, so. Uh, Do I think it it might be worse than some other places? Maybe. But, you know, uh, you saw what happened with some of the Ohio State and Illinois players receiving messages and all of that stuff. I I think there's a level of toxicity everywhere uh, in the sports world, but it's countered by what's positive. Right. The passion that all these fans have is what fills stadiums and what why coaches have ten million dollar you know, contracts and so forth. So we tend to focus a lot. I know I do focus on the negative, and it just drives me crazy. But some of the things I think Indiana can do is really embrace the new regime for what it is and give it a chance. And don't put demands on the new coach. Expectations, yes, we want a good basketball program. We want winning. We want top of the Big Ten. I don't think that's anything wrong with having those expectations. I think those are fair, and Indiana should be there. Um, but but there's so many demands that I think make Indiana a little bit tougher um, jobs than other places, uh, and, and it takes that it takes that right person. And and I, I don't want to. The fans are not the reason. Winning will cure all. When, when winning happens, all of this will go away. And so that's why the hire is the most important. And the hire come in and do the job that they need to do. That flat out is the way to get back. The fans have very little to do, but the fans also can support. Um, And I think we are a fan base that's quick to not support. Uh, And and maybe that's fair. Maybe that's not. And and it's hard to compare. When I go to other schools, uh, I get some media passes with the bracketology and all that stuff. I see people standing and cheering, and the whole crowd gets into it with their routines. I don't see that at Indiana anymore. And maybe that's just because of the long time from winning, and winning will cure that. But what I would love to see is just a natural – if we're playing the smallest school from Alabama – that We need 17,000 people, and it needs to be just as raucous uh, as it is for a Big Ten game. And I know that's a whole lot to ask for, but I see it in other venues. Um, in other venues, the people are there, and they're cheering regardless of who the opponent is. Obviously, the bigger games are a lot louder and more crazy and everything, but I see that. And and I'll throw this out as as a uh, Delphi Bracketology, we get a lot of negative stuff on our Twitter feed. Um, and, and I don't know, Andy, how, if you get stuff too, but we, we are very active on there and have a website and you do tend to, um, stereotype fan bases based on one or two or three people with negative tweets. That is probably totally unfair. I work with our students all the time and don't taking it out. But if you were to ask my students who the three fan bases are that give us the most negative stuff on bracketing, it is Florida, North Carolina State and Indiana, and that's the that's the honest truth. Um, we were accused of being Indiana homers or Purdue homers in Delphi bracketology because we had Purdue a five seed and Indiana wasn't even in the first out after they were twelve and fourteen, and some guy just railed on us about how we're unfair to Indiana that they they win two games there in the you know there should be a ten seed. Um, our fan base is passionate, it's great, but sometimes that fringe element, and if you're not, my point is this. I don't know, sir. I don't know uh, North Carolina State or Florida. I assume their fans are really good, but you talk to our kids, and they're going to stereotype those fans as being absolute crazies because they interact with us negatively. Be careful of your interactions. That—that's—that's that's my big thing. Um, we're not going to change a perception of some dude in California if that's his perception. Just just be careful and really enlighten them on what they should do is come here and see the real thing and see why we got rid of Archie Miller and embrace the real thing and sh- and share with them the positives, the traditions, what it means to be a Hoosier. Hit them with that and then let them make their decisions about how we're irrelevant on, on ESPN shows. Um, if they, you know, but all they see from afar is anger and anger and anger and anger and anger. And anger then that adds to the perception. So I, I might be wrong on that, but those are a couple of things that I see, and, and, and I cringe every time I see a lot of the stuff going after people who really don't know Indiana. Just let them not know Indiana. And, and I know that there's some fear that it drives the negatives, and Jared and I got into it a little bit today privately about that. But, <laughs> man, um, you know, there, there, are, there are some truths out there about the Indiana program that we don't, wanna, we don't want to like to admit. That, that people perceive, and, and they are real. So just be better, um, you know, be better, uh, and support these guys. And it's a new start, and everyone be happy, and, you know, you can criticize, but be fair in your criticisms. Preaching over. You, get, you guys said it all? <laughs> all right, let's go to the next question. On the flip side of the transfer portal, making assumptions that most of the team will be returning, yay, optimism, what incoming skills or positions would complement the roster? What are the glaring needs or priorities, in your opinion? Jared, what, let's just go from – there's going to be some turnover. We don't know yeah. who is back and who is not back. What does Indiana need to, to move forward as fast as possible with a new regime?
3: Well, it's so it's hard. I don't want to take a cop out answer, but without knowing who the coach is and what the style is and who's coming and going, it is hard to answer that question. Now, if we just take the question kind Jay, of at Jay face is value, for
1: sure gonna call you out for. I, dodging I'm about discussion. I'm
3: about to answer, but I just you know I think that that's <laughs> worth saying. I'm not going to dodge it because the question did say let's assume that guys are back. Okay, you know right. let's assume that folks are back. Okay, what do we need? Part of that is you know are we assuming Trace is back or not? Right. I think no matter what, what we could really use is a proven a proven ball handler who can play either guard position because you're going to need flexibility because if lander develops you need to have an open runway for him to take over as the point guard plus you're going to have a, a senior in rob Finnessy. so i think what you really need is kind of like the idealized version of what al durham was you know like a guy who can theoretically instead of being theoretically able to play both, both guard positions can actually play both guard positions um and make shots and is experienced. So I think you need that, and then I think you also need a big guy who can step away from the basket because you've got to be able to play some if you, whether you have Trace or whether you have Race, Race is still the guy who does his best work around the basket. You've got to be able to play with either a four or five that can step away from the basket and open up the floor. And I think no matter what system the new coach is running, and no matter who is here and who's not, you're going to need those two things.
0: Jared, I think... um I will say a stretch four in the Indiana program will just be delightful to this old man's psyche just to to see four people out on the floor that could possibly make a three-point shot regardless of style or whatever. But that's that modernizing the offense um it doesn't it could be a slower pace and you still have a stretch four uh or even a five who can shoot eventually um get those types of guys in so you can do some multiple things uh and that that's part of the problem from last year is you had guys that needed the ball right at the block in order to be successful which really limited um what what can be done uh Andy this next that was from Alex by the way oh hey
1: did you want to throw some? Hang on, after? I had I had some I had some. You guys didn't hit. I thought Jared's uh, point on the, the guard was a good one because so many of these teams. I think it was a lot of people brought this up, but I think it was a podcast that Rob Doster had uh, was talking about. You know the number of teams that have really advanced far in the tournament in recent years that have had essentially two point guards and um, and that kind of thing. Actually, might have been Norlander talking about that because he seems to have an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, who played it, who won the national championship every year, and and rattled that off um the other thing that i would say though is like a you know the one thing that i didn't have a lot of last year maybe jerome hunter was it like a true wing um that could really defend and defend multiple positions i think that unlocks a lot of things defensively but also can be a guy who's a tough matchup for somebody you know i you got into the um i think of aaron henry as an example you know i you had nobody that could defend him and he had and he had the ability to defend guys at multiple positions i think a, a guy like you know, like him, that that's playing that wing. That's a you know six 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 seven guy who can step out and shoot it, put the ball on the floor, also defend, really put pressure on defenses. I think that's something that really was lacking. And if again, the premise of the question is assuming everybody comes back, you don't really have anybody that that's that's quite like that um, with that um, skill set. So maybe it's a find the guy who gives you the most trouble, and that was a guy who gave us a ton of trouble. But uh, I think that would be a, a that, that that archetype would be a good one to have. So we'll take Marcus Carr, Aaron Henry, and Micah Potter, please. And we'll, we'll
3: three, go about it. Three and D way. guy. That's what you're talking about, Andy, is
0: th- three and D guy. That yep. could Guard uh, guards, could guard posts, uh, can shoot, can post up, can do a variety of things. Um, and a closer at a closer, you know, but that's going to be developed more than, I, I don't know how many closers are out there in a transfer portal. They're probably staying where they need to, or, you know, that that's going to be interesting. But thanks Alex for that one. Steven says, this will come to you, Andy. Uh, first for, from the beginning of IU's coaching search, it's been noted that Scott Dolson would make the decision. There would be no committee or outside search agency. Obviously Dolson has trusted people advising and discussing potential coaches, coaches, who are these advisors? And who has Dolson's trust and respect? I, I know that's probably a very difficult question to answer. I have. I came up with. Well, the, thanks.
1: Uh, <laughs> thanks for teeing that one up to me. I really <laughs> appreciate it. it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you're the you're the brains of this. You know, <laughs> I, I've already yeah, said I'm the ass, ass of this question. show. You you're the brains. This this looks good. <laughs> Jared is the idea guy. That's why we fit well.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I, mean, I, I up with have, a couple names. I honestly have no idea, other other than knowing it's not any of the three of us. Uh, I don't know. So, Coach, feel free I, to. I, I, uh, I'll throw out. I, I, I,
0: honestly, I think you you go back to your mentor and Fred Glass has to be his mentor. And Fred Glass is just one step removed and hired Archie uh, and did the last search. I think you go there for at least some process questions uh, as a first time AD going through this. And then um, Quinn Buckner. Uh, I, I would I would have brought Quinn Buckner in and sat down and say, Quinn, you were here in 76. I was here in 87. You know, it's modern day. And you've played in the NBA. You covered the NBA. I would trust Quinn Buckner tremendously, and that's biased because I'm a Quinn Buckner uh, fan club member and all that stuff. But he's around, uh, and I think he's a professional, and I think he would keep uh, the confidence of Scott Dolson. And obviously, there's some people inside the organization that that he trusts that he's worked with. That I would say that that you know we look at the directory, you could probably pinpoint a, a few of those on the inside that are most trusted. Jared, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's all speculation because we don't know, but I'm sure it's probably from a pool of, you know, someone like Fred Glass probably makes sense. He's got a lot of experience with the basketball program, being a manager here in 87. I'm sure there's some of those people in his circle, uh, which I know worries some people and excites others, depending on what that, you know, what their perspective is on the feedback from from Indiana guys. But I think you need that feedback. Um and then you know look scott dolson spent a lot of time raising money and i'm sure he's you know he knows a lot of influential people and influential donors uh that that mean a lot to indiana and i'm sure that some of those people are in that close circle i don't you know don't know how many but i'm sure that there's ones that he trusts their opinion and their feedback you know in addition to their money and there may be some of them that he pays lip service to and acts like he's talking to them and other ones that he really listens to But I would think that his circle is probably comprised of people from those groups. And then, you know, it's like we all do. We have trusted confidants that we go to and we really trust their counsel. And we go to them, you know, when we have key questions and I'm sure he's no different, but it has to be a tight, small circle given how little we've heard about this. Because the more people you talk to, the more stuff is gonna get out and stuff is not getting out at all.
0: All right, Catherine has a good question. It's mostly for Ryan, so we'll maybe save that uh, for Ryan um, about um, how do you make a, a public a source something a source tells you. Uh, journalism grad, Catherine, we we see your question, but uh, Jared, do you do you want to try to take that, or do you want us to leave it for Ryan? Or
3: I mean, I think it's a, it's a good question for Ryan because you know he has a little bit more experience in that, but I think. It, Look, I think something that's important that maybe a lot of us learned from the Brad Stevens situation is just because you get a piece of information from multiple sources before you would would put something like that out. And I don't I don't think a lot of people like reported that something with Brad Stevens happened, but they kind of insinuated things you really need to kind of track that down and make sure it's true and make sure you have it from different sources. Cause even if you get it from three or four different places, it might be originating from the same place and you may be at the end of a game of telephone and now you're reporting something and it's wrong and was never really that true to begin with. And so I think that's what makes a good journalist is the ability to, you know, to separate, okay, what is just noise? What is the echo chamber and what is actually real? And to be able to discern and have judgment, you know, and I think the people who looked best after all the Brad Stevens stuff happened were the people who stayed very patient, you know, and and didn't fan the flames of that. And I don't think there was, you know, I think it was okay, you know, that a lot of people got excited just about the idea of it. Um, But the minute that it went to, hey, this is happening tomorrow or something's happening later today. You know, now you're getting into the point where you're reporting that things are happening and it's not true. And and just because you got it from someone else, you know, I've seen some of those reports. It's like, just because someone told you something doesn't mean that you don't have responsibility for now reporting it out to the audience that trusts you. And so I think that's that's where you have to make those decisions. Um, and the good journalists are the ones who are able to do that.
0: There you go. Thanks, Catherine. Um Jeff we said we we've talked about the rank order and coaching search with um Jay's question um Patrick talks um here his question ultimately says do you think the style of play on offense in the Big 10 is the issue in their poor performance uh in this year or, and or the refs allowing physical play uh in in the tournament. Andy thoughts on why the Big 10 struggled uh, in the tournament this year?
1: I I definitely think it's a factor in in you guys talked about this on on Tuesday uh, a bit I think the and it's been brought up before just the level of physicality in the Big Ten and that that gets let go and then you turn around the tournament the same things that you got away with for you know 20 league games are are now being called as fouls and things like that I also just think the style of play for many of the schools it's starting to change a little bit um as you as you look at what what some some teams are doing isn't necessarily as modern, but I think the physicality is it as much as anything. And I think also just to a certain extent these teams just beating the hell out of each other for 20 games, the cumulative effect of of some of that uh also takes its toll. But uh yeah, I think the physicality would be number one for me in the way the games are officiated, kind of those in in tandem and then style of play secondarily probably doesn't do him any favors, but to me is less of an issue than the than the first couple things.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not so big in the style of play being different. I mean, the Big Twelve only had one out of seven I go in and had some, you know, players. They were pretty open. O- Oklahoma State played a, a style that was open and got beat. Um, you know, there is something to that. Uh, there, there are a lot more grinded out wins when you have really strong teams and defensive minded teams in the in the Big Ten. But I think there's also a lot of teams that that were offensive. I just think that. Um, w- in our business, the bracketology business, I thought they just played against each other and kept, you know, getting good results out of playing each other and were maybe a little bit overseeded. Um, if you wanted to, to really evaluate that maybe they were more like threes and fours. And the thing I I said, uh, on Tuesday is that I realized, never realized this Andy till I got into, into your business of bracketology is, you know, if you're a seven seed, you're a top 30 team. And, and, we really wouldn't in a non-conference be surprised if a a twenty-eighth ranked team beat a a seventh ranked team in a one-game you know um, shootout a, a, in Hawaii or something. Um, it, it is all of a sudden we get the tournament and those seed numbers get next to it. So Oregon beating Iowa is is not as much of an upset to me as it as it um, it seems because you know Oregon might have been the you know the twenty-fifth best team in the in the country and Iowa might have been the eighth. So I think that gap is a lot smaller than the 7-2 uh will allow allow it to be seen by you know I used to think if you were a 4 or 5 seed you had a really bad season um and then one, once I started doing bracketology I realized that's a top 25 team uh top 20 team is your five seeds so that that that's when it become it, it really hit for me is when I was digging into those numbers but as a casual fan I would think a 7-2 was, my goodness, was really bad. Um, no, it's just they ran into a buzzsaw.
3: The only, the only thing I want to add to this conversation that we didn't talk about before, Coach, is I think style of play is some of it, but I also think it's about having a coach and having a system that is flexible because when it gets to NCAA tournament time, you have to be able to adapt to different matchups, and so, you know, one of the things that i've started to appreciate more about porter moser as i've digged in as i've dug into him is he's only made the tournament twice it's a huge knock on him right but he made a final four and now he's gone to a sweet 16 where he beat a one seed and you can look at that and be like yeah it's a tournament it's a single elimination tournament do we really want to take too much from that it's like well you know in all cases no but let's, you look at what he's done, the teams he's beaten, and how they've actually adapted their style and kind of played teams differently. And that's hard to do because you have to have the aptitude as a coach and the ability to communicate it on short notice to get guys to actually be able to do it. I think that's why people were so impressed by what they did against Illinois. So yes, it, it seems like there's certain styles of play that work, but you, know, you go back to what Bob Knight did in 87, where he just decided, hey, we're playing UNLV. Let's just run with them. You know, this is what we're going to have to do to beat them. So I don't, I'm not as concerned with a particular style as having a program that can adapt, adapt to the personnel from year to year, adapt to injuries that may happen in conference play or to how you're getting, being scouted, adapt to tournament matchups that you get where it's like, my God, we haven't played a zone yet, but let's figure it out. We haven't played a team with two bigs yet. How are we going to do this? But you have a coach and you have a system that can figure it out. That to me, I think is the most important thing.
1: Absolutely, I think, and I think with Moser too. What against Illinois? I mean, he found something that worked and just ran it into the ground because they never really figured out ways to stop it. And then they started to do some uh, variations of the dribble handoff stuff with with Krutwig and the, you know, at the at the elbow. But I mean, it, it was not a I'm going to get too cute and try to do something else. It was just a I found something that I can exploit and I'm going to do it over and over and over what again.
3: a concept man <laughs> i know crazy
1: idea crazy <laughs> crazy idea i know that, that crutwig anyway.
0: dude is is just fantastic we wrote an article in um for delphi bracketology as he was one of the players to watch because of his passing and boy in that oklahoma state game they utilized his ability to pass um just to tremendously strategize to win win that game but even more so than that they they just they were incredible with the the pick and roll coverage and and, and you know IU couldn't even get he turned the ball over six times, um, you know that 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 was solid solid um, adjustments, but yeah I I do think they're you know typically we we are we are moving away from the the Dick Bennett uh, slow offense Wisconsin stuff uh, as a conference so. Um, you know, I think more more coaches, sorry, Jared, but um the the blocker mover, it was a fantastic offense, uh but but not not so much. Um so uh <laughs> No, he's a Cubs fan actually, I think. Um no, Oh, Moser's a Cubs fan? I'm I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> I'm uh, out. But anyway, let's go. Next question. We got a few um and I I don't know that I personally want to uh, speculate on, on names of players leaving or not leaving, but I, I think it's an, a good question. Of the several IU players currently in the transfer portal, which do you think would most likely to leave? Which do you uh, most likely to stay? I, I, I would say the younger kids with a free year. Um, if, if you're looking – I don't want to mention names. You guys can mention names if you want, but I would think some of the younger guys who still have three or four years left um, can be recruited and convinced to maybe go elsewhere, but we really don't know until the coach is named and that coach has a chance to talk to someone. I, I, I don't. I think it's a personal family decision, and any speculation w- would just be. Um, I, I don't know that it. I want to be a part of that, I, and I, I hope that I'm. I, I'm okay with that. If you guys do, uh, any thoughts on who's likely to leave or stay?
3: I'll say what I've always said. I think the players who are closer to home are more likely to stay and the players who are farther away from home are more likely to go. I've always thought that. So, you know, I mean, you can attach names to that because there are names there, you know, Jordan Geronimo and race Thompson are from Minnesota and from out East, but it has nothing to do with them or their situations. I just always generally think guys, there's a reason why Anthony Leal and Trey Galloway, pledge their commitment to to Indiana. It's close to home. They grew up with Indiana. That just makes more sense. Now, their individual situations, you know, you can argue, What man, Jordan Drama looks like he loves Indiana, and he may. And, And so I don't mean that as like, I specifically think he's more or less likely. I just mean, generally, when looking at this, you're more likely to have a guy who's farther away from home transfer than a guy who's closer. And... I just so that that to me that general rule still probably applies. We'll take here.
0: them all back if they want to come back. I I mean Heck this yes. whole coaching st- thing yeah. was about the coaching. It was, you know, when you talk about roster construction and lack of shooting and all that yeah, that, that falls somewhat on the players, but we appreciate what the players do, and they could always get better at those things. And, so, and a lot of those kids have a lot of time. So, it, it, it I'm, I don't mean to speak for the whole group, but we don't wish anyone to leave. Uh, we wish they come back and develop their games into winning games uh, for for Indiana University. As far look as the what
3: kids Justin are. Smith did. I mean, Absolutely. there's so much optimism for what all these guys can do when you see what Justin Smith did just in a different system and with a new kind of lease on his basketball life. So I'm optimistic about all these guys, whether they stay at Indiana or go somewhere else. I think they're all they've all got talent. They're all good basketball players. So there's Jared there's, and I
1: still fondly remember the Stan Robinson breakout game Stan in the Robinson, baby for Rhode Island. So you know. <laughs> we were the last people <laughs> yeah. on Stan Robinson Island.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> a couple questions Both. about go, um, transfer. It's a transfer. I, I
1: yeah, I probably I probably need to run uh chance to see my older daughter at least before she goes to bed i haven't seen her in a few hours since she was at soccer so i'll uh i'll let you guys bring it home
0: all right andy thank you
1: Thank you, qu- bud. questions left thanks everybody enjoyed uh chatting with you guys tonight and we'll Good to uh, see you, andy see you. have stuff to uh you know what i will figure out something to talk about next week yeah. this overly super involved dad yeah <laughs> so looking go. for that earlier but all right
3: <laughs> we'll see you bud All right, see you guys <laughs> see you andy
0: um a couple questions we kind of Answered, Ricks is a transfer without sitting out rule just for this year. Um, we'll combine that with Jerry's question. Is the decision time for players – is there a time limit for players entering the portal? When can they sign and when does the, the portal close? Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I know people are already transferring. I'm seeing it in Twitter on the college basketball feeds of people uh, already transferring. So I know that answer is that they can immediately – a sign where there is availability uh, once they're in the transfer portal and meet whatever requirements the NCAA has for for that transfer portal. Uh, Jared, do you know any of the particulars about uh, how that works?
3: No, but I mean they're going to have to be in good academic standing. So they may say like, "Hey, we're transferring," but they're probably going to have to finish up their classes, right? Um, you know, so I'm they're sure committing that's is what they're probably doing, right? Committing yeah, yeah. to a committing. school
0: you know, pending there. Yeah. And I guess you
3: could commit, you it any, yeah, you could commit right. at any time. So yeah. But I mean, otherwise, I mean, it's, that's the rule now. Mm-hmm. So I think some people are mistaking this with the one year of extra eligibility. That is just a one year thing because of the pandemic, but the transfer rule has changed. So, you know, look, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be chaotic. I don't really know that I like it for college basketball, but I do think it's fair. And so I'm glad that the rule is there. But I am, you know, because I think the players should have the right to do that. So I support it. But it's going to be crazy and insane. And we're just going to have to see. You know, there could end up being unintended consequences to it to where they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we have to change this down the road. But, you know, coaches can leave at any time. Coaches can get fired at any time. And if that's fair, then I think it's fair that the that the players can leave. And now we're all just going to have to deal with the consequences of it. And it's going to make us uncomfortable for a while. But, you know. Let's just let's see what happens with it. Try to have an open mind.
0: And I think that um is our last question. Um so we'll uh, That's it. We're done. No more questions. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode on Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show and special thanks uh to Ted Valentine for nothing. Um, Okay, that's. does, does it, it say st- that in there? It still says that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening. <laughs> Stay classy, San Diego. I'm just reading the prompt. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs> Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. That's from like weeks right, ago get, yeah, or months yeah, I ago. Think
3: that, <laughs> <laughs> I think I put that in there for Andy one time. <laughs>
0: You know me. That's I'm just—I follow the rules, man. I, I, I'm a compliant dude, and whatever yeah. is on the
2: script. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger—they're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery: the Mega Millions jackpot is over 250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase. Player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger—they're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over 250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase Player 5.